0: Listener Production. Do you know how to talk to your kids about money?
1: Money comes from working. Do you know the 35 year olds that I know that haven't worked that out? Money comes from working.
0: I love that. Today on Feed, Play, Love, how to help your kids be financially savvy.
1: Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt.
0: How did you learn about money when you were growing up? Did you think about the merits of saving that hard-earned pocket money and what you might do with it? Or did you spend anything that came into your little hands as fast as you could? Now that you're all grown up, I wonder how you teach your own kids about money. It's not an easy thing, especially for those of us who don't feel like we've got our own finances under control. Well, there is help at hand. Scott Pape, the brains behind The Barefoot Investor, has created a new book to help children be better with money. It's called Barefoot Kids, and Scott is my guest today. Hi, Scott. Welcome. Hi.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. Now, lots of people will know you from The Barefoot Investor, which is all about helping adults manage their finances better. Why did you want to write a
1: book for kids? Because I spent the last couple of years trying to get financial education in schools, so for me, the Barefoot Investor gave me this massive platform, and I'm like, "What am I going to do with it?" And the number one thing people said to me after they finished the Barefoot Investor was, "Why didn't I? Why am I only learning this now? Why am I learning this as a thirty-year-old, a forty-year-old, a fifty-year-old? Why didn't I learn this at school?" And and for me, money is the one thing that we're all going to be tested on every day of our lives. And the idea that you spend 13 years at school and you're not taught the basics to me is kind of insane. You know, we, we, we expect so much of adults, you know, you need to know about taxes, you need to know about super, you know, need to know about private health insurance so for me, uh, I tried to get it into schools and I created this program, both primary and secondary. I did it for free. It costs, cost me a couple of hundred grand, you know, of foregone income. because it was, It's all not for profit. Um, I took my name off it because I'm seen as a brand and I gave it free to education departments around the country. Uh, and, uh, they, they didn't, didn't do it. So that I couldn't get any traction there. This, the teachers and the kids loved it, mm. but, uh, I just couldn't crack the education departments. So this book, Barefoot Kids was like the, um, the consolation prize. That was my backup plan. So I wrote this book to bypass the bureaucrats and get it into the hands of kids. And, uh, it's a really interesting book because all my other books have been written to adults. That is my safe space. This book is for kids. And so I talk about, um, having four grumpy editors. (laughs) So I have four kids under the age of nine and, uh, I remember I wrote this really hilarious story (laughs) on compound interest and my nine year old, he he stops me like midway through as I'm sort of giggling to myself. And he said, just stop for a minute. He goes, he's like, give it, give it to me. So he's he's looking and he goes, oh, I see. He said, you're using humor as a device, but it's not working. Because it's not very funny and you're just wasting the reader's time. You need to get to the point. And I'm like, damn. Wow. But it was great feedback (laughs) because what what I worked out was that kids won't be spoken down to Mm. and they won't be bored. You know, I like to think that, you know, the kids are going to devour this book and the early indications say they will. But, you know, I'm competing against. Andy and Terry, yes. and you know YouTube and everything else, all
0: the things. So that so was, what's the that age was the bo- group then? You've you've got four under nine, you said. Yes. So is that was that your target audience? What's the target audience? Target
1: audience. Um, I'm saying broadly is primary school. So mm-hmm. what I did after my kids, like you know, basically were grumpy editors, is I sent out an email to uh, my fans or my subscribers. And I had, I said, Hey, if you've got a kid that is doing the Jam Jars and doing Barefoot Families, I want to know about it. And we end up having, I think close to 2000 kids actually wrote back and we got it down to 50 kids and we tell their stories throughout the book. And so what I wanted to do was to have kids, I've got kids age five to 14 in the book. I wanted a kid to open this book and say, that's me. I could do that. So we've got kids from regional areas, um, kids from city areas, um, we've got indigenous kids, we've got kids with disabilities. I wanted every kid to open this book and say, Hey, that could be me. So it's kids being inspired by the kids. Which is fantastic
0: because like you said, there's a lot of competing interests for children. What do you think are the key things that kids need to learn when it comes to money?
1: That's a really good question. The first one is, uh, in my household. Uh, and in the book, I write about parent pleasers, right? So parent pleasers are, um, you're not going to get paid to make your bed. You're not going to get paid to take your smelly socks and jocks (laughs) and uniform and put them in the laundry. And you're not going to get paid to do the dishes. They are what we call parent pleasers. And there's a sticker in the book just to remind them. That's what we do as part of a team, right? I put spaghetti bolognese on the, uh, dining room table for you to eat. Um, but we're a team and we're going to do that. I don't want everything to be a transaction. And for me, talking to kids about money can feel kind of icky. Capitalist, consumerist, I don't want that. Mm. So for me, what it is, is they, uh, they do the parent pleases, but for me, pocket money and money is just a tool to teach the values and behaviors that I want in my kids. So I like my kids working hard. You know, that idea that money comes from working is really important. And then, uh, when they earn some money and their age appropriate sort of jobs. So what I do in my family is I pay $1 per year per week. So my five-year-old uh, gets five bucks. My nine year old gets nine bucks, but it doesn't really matter about how much you pay them. But as they get older, they take on more responsibilities is kind of how it works. Mm. Um, but what, what we do is we have three jars that you put your money in. The rule is each time you get paid, money goes into one of those three jars and it's splurge. We want you working hard and buying stuff just because you rewarded yourself for working, right? It's that, delay, you know, that, that, that idea that I work and I can spend, uh, because no one likes a tight wad. I have all these parents (laughs) say to me, oh, you would love, love little Jimmy. He's just so tight with his money. I'm like, it's cute now when he's eight, when he's 28, it's going to be really annoying. So splurge, smile is saving up for something that is going to make you smile. So it's that delayed gratification. It's, um, I actually worked for this and I actually bought it myself And then the, the third one is give. And so for me, one of my biggest fears is that my kids will grow up to be spoiled brats with no idea of just how good they've got it. So for me, um, I want my kids to be hardworking and I want them to be generous and kind. So the idea of the give jar is, um, that you look at something in your community that you can do and food bank is great because kids understand what it's like to be, have a rumbly tummy and they are, it's very tangible, but it could also be just doing, buying some flowers for gran, but it's that idea that it's not just about you. So for me, long answer to a very short question, (laughs) but it is about, I don't really care about the money. Mm -hmm. I just care about the behaviors that I'm building into my kids so that they can be self-sufficient and really I'm not lecturing to them I'm allowing them to um, experience it themselves and then they start to build in within themselves. I am good with money. You know, I am a hard worker. It gives the parents something to to brag about with their kids.
0: Well, I think you've probably pinpointed something that is painful for a lot of parents in that relationship between pocket money and chores. And I find that link between... um, Sort of financial literacy in a way and behaviour. Financial I literacy. <laughs> I, I just it just it
1: just makes me. Oh, I know what. What would you rather to, say? I just it's financial <laughs> confidence. I think. Okay.
0: Yeah. No, that's a good word.
1: But but I agree with you. Like every parent, every parent listening to this podcast right now has tried to do pocket money. I guarantee you. Oh yeah. We've all tried to do it, but what happens is, it's just another thing for us to do, right? It's just like another shaming thing that, oh, okay. Yeah. I've got to do the money thing and it will fizzle out. It always fizzles out. So what I have done and make maybe self-serving, but I've written this book for the kid to be in charge. So the kid reads this book, it's the, their epic money adventure, um, the parent is always in control and has the final say. But what I've done is put the onus on the kids to say, you've got to do these parent pleases. But then after that, we're going to have a money meeting with your mum and dad. And we're going to talk about how you can start to earn some money. And then we've got these jars. And so for me, it's a very different experience when it's kid-led.
0: So what would you say to parents who have tried the pocket money thing? It's fizzled out and they're not happy with where they're at with things with their kids, but they're a bit older, right? So they're not five or six, maybe they're heading on into the tween years and they haven't set any good sort of foundations. Well, the
1: first thing that I would say is the, um, is the number one way to produce financially fit kids Is to be financially fit yourself. Damn, I knew you were going to say that. It's true. It's (laughs) true. Like we think that our parents, you know, our kids may not listen to us, but they model us. And, you know, I have, I, my other role is a financial counselor. So I'm a not-for-profit financial counselor. Um, and I sit down with parents all the time who are in severe financial distress and they say, you know, I don't want to bother our kids about it. I'm, 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 I'm keeping them out of it. I'm like, they know. They know what's going on. You can't hide that stuff. It's, it seeps into everything. And I will just say that some of the best money managers that I deal with are single mums because they have to be. Mm. Some of the best money manager kids are single parents because they have to have those money conversations every freaking day. What are we doing? It's a trade-off. Can we do this? Can we not? And they tend to be, not always, but tend to be really good money managers because it's just there all the time. Whereas more affluent parents can hide that from their kids and they can do the pocket money thing, but they see their parents doing, making dumb financial decisions and they pick it up. So that would be the first thing. But you know, if I'm going to be totally cynical, um, and I am an author, but I think there's something really special about this book. It's the first book that is written really directly to kids. But what really makes it magic is the kids in the book. Can I tell you my favorite kid? Oh, please do. Oh, I'd love to. Hear so that. my favorite kid. Um, is actually, no, I can't say that I've got a favorite kid because all the (laughs) other kids are going to listen to it and go. (laughs) No,
0: it's a a podcast for parents. The kids
1: don't listen. No, no, no. They're all really awesome kids. But, um, I got one email through and it's from Levi. He's 10 years old. He lives in Brisbane and he has ADHD and dyslexia. Right. And so he struggles with learning. One day his teacher pulls him up in front of class and says, um, read this out to the class and he, he can't read. And he's dying up there and the kids start teasing him. They call him stupid. And he said, I am stupid. And as he sat down, a relief teacher gave him a reading ruler, which is basically a ruler with a bit of cellophane in the middle. And it just allows him to focus on one line at a time. So he goes home and he says to his mom, it's amazing. It's the first time I've actually been able to read, you know, really well. And they start researching it and they can't find the reading ruler that he was using. So they end up designing their own reading ruler in uh, Alibaba in China. They import them. He sets up MyDyslexiaShop.com.au.
0: <laughs> he
1: sells $6,000 worth of reading rulers. For every 10 he sells, he donates one to an Indigenous community or to a lower socioeconomic school. His mum tips off his teacher. She calls him out from the class one day and says, get up here in front of the class. And he's like all nervous. And she says, tell us about your, your shop. He tells the kids, they all cheer for him Oh, wow. and, um, two of the kids in the class actually bought reading rulers. So, you know, for me, it's not about, that's not about financial literacy. That's, I have what some people would claim to be a disadvantage, turning that into an advantage, being financially confident, being kind. Those are the things that are really important to me about this book versus I'm going to turn, you know, some kid into a millionaire or a capitalist. I don't care about that. I wrote this book because I wanted this for my kids.
0: And the interesting thing for me about that is we're kind of changing our language around money. I remember going to see a financial advisor with my husband at one point and we did a um, personality
1: yeah. Okay. Thing
0: about, and I, it was honestly like going to a counselor. Yeah. And it was a financial well, money's advisor. Money's
1: very personal.
0: It is very personal, and it makes sense to take out that, like you said, that icky capitalist. Everyone wants to be a millionaire, and look at it as it's a function of living
1: well. Well, it's and you know what it is. It's also one of the things that I got when I was going around schools is that is it would be, uh, captured by the maths department. They're like, ah, this is money. This is numbers over here. And I'm like, no, for me, money is a language, right? And if you don't understand that language, if that language is not spoken about at home, then we magically, uh, think that our 16, 17 and 18 year olds will understand that language. Well, if you are not mathematically, if you're not a numbers person, right? If you, if maths isn't your thing. What too many people say is I'm not a numbers person. So therefore I'm not a money person. So therefore I'm hopeless with money. And if you believe that when you are in your late teens, after pay and all the banks will conspire to prove you right. And so for me, what I want is I want to give these kids, um, experiences where they go, yeah, I'm good with money. I'm actually, you know, and I've got in here where I teach them about investing in a really simple way. There's a funny story there. My son may not think it's very funny, but I think (laughs) it's kind of funny. Uh, And I've got like a little eight-year-old girl who's investing. And you know, the idea of an eight-year-old or even a 10-year-old or a 13-year-old investing, even if it's five bucks, right? That becomes part of their belief system. I'm an investor. That's what I do. And you're not sitting there when you're 40 or 50 or 60 over the table from a financial advisor or a salesperson or something freaking out, it's just part of who you are. And that to me is really important.
0: Uh, look, I want to ask you one last question. Sure. Um, you have touched on this,
1: but how are your own kids with money? My kids are really good with money. I, I live on a farm, so there's always something to do. So my kids have got their jobs. We start them really, like my daughter is four. But she has three brothers, so there's nothing that she can't do. She picks up the eggs. Sometimes they're scrambled. That's okay. <laughs> um, but the thing for me is my kids are hardworking and they're generous. And as long as my kids are hardworking and generous, that's kind of my job. That's, that's, you know, that they understand what's going on around them and how lucky they are. And they're hardworking. And I figure, you know, for, for most parents, that's all we want. That's our job and you know, the fact that they're not teaching this stuff in school, it's really up to us to give them those experiences, not lecture to them, but give them those experiences so that we can brag about them rather than what generally happens. I find a lot of parents just pay out their teenagers. They're lazy, they sleep, they don't have any idea about how things cost. I want to have a different narrative there and say, you know, my kid's amazing. He's really hardworking because that then colors their entire life.
0: Well, I think it's wonderful. I love the idea that we can give them the
1: book and they lead this. Just hand them the book (laughs) and I'll do the rest because it's really tough teaching kids about money.
0: Scott, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. That was Scott Pape. He's the author of Barefoot Kids and the book is available now. Just check out the links in the notes for this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the listener app and don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.